And amen. Thank you, praise team. That was really good. Well, this morning, as we look at God's Word, we're going to continue our series on the return of Christ. And it's so good to see you this morning. And some of y'all, I haven't seen in a long time, but it's wonderful to have you here. And um, I see you raising that fist there, Miss Miss Quay. That's good. And Miss Dora, so glad. Some of our dear friends who are here that haven't been here for a long time. And it's so good to see you. And things have changed a little bit around here, new faces and that sort of thing. But anyway, it's so good to be able to worship with you this morning. Well, this morning, I want to invite you to go ahead and take your Bible and go to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. I want to talk with you this morning about the, about the, uh, the defeat of the Antichrist. And uh, we're going to look at this passage. And kind of like last week, we're going to be skipping around to some different, uh, different passages of Scripture. And so it might be a little bit, uh, a little bit uh, here and there. But I, I trust that the Lord will bless you in, in this regard. You know, as I'm thinking about what the Bible teaches, uh, the Bible is unique of all the so-called holy books in the world in the sense that there is fulfilled prophecy. You do not find evidence of fulfilled prophecy in the books of Mormon. You do not find fulfilled, pro- matter of fact, you don't even find geographical evidence for all the stories they have about the people who supposedly lived in North America. It's just not there, which should be a red flag for most of us to say, wait a minute, this doesn't sound quite right. But you don't find evidence of fulfilled prophecy in the, the, the Bhagavad Gita or the other uh, writings from Hinduism. Matter of fact, when you start reading those kind of writings, everything is a little bit fuzzy and you just really, you can take it one way or another, it's just different. In the book of Islam, you don't find fulfilled prophecy. And so when we think about the Bible, the Bible is unique in the sense that we have dates, we have geographical evidence, we have non-biblical historical uh, information that coincides with the prophecies that are given. We have the dating of different writings that are very early and, you know, Daniel's prophecies were written uh, centuries prior to things being fulfilled. And so uh, we just, again, the Bible is very unique. And one of the things that the Bible tells us is that there is coming a day when there will be a supervillain who arises who has a number of different names in the Bible. He's called the Beast. He's called the man of lawlessness. Uh, He is called the Antichrist. He has a number of different names. He's a a man of intrigue or deceiver. Um, He is called the little horn in Daniel. And there's just a number of different descriptions, but it, it, it gives us a picture of someone of super intellect and of great charisma. By the way, do you guys know what the word riz means? Anybody here ever heard that term? I had no idea what that, what that was until last night I was watching some news and they were doing a little report on the new lingo. And Riz, R-I-Z-Z, it is short for charisma. So when they say somebody has Riz, that means they got game or they got charisma. And, uh, and so anyway, I don't know if any of you parents have had any trouble with some of that stuff with texting and all that, but apparently uh, it's a real thing. And what, does anybody know what S-U-S, sus, means? It means what? Suspect. It means suspect. This is suspect. I mean, and you know what? There's probably some of y'all here that could, uh, that could tell us a whole lot of things, but the bottom line is 
that this Antichrist individual, he will be someone who rises out of an elite circle of world leaders and he basically takes charge. There's a number of different things that happens in his life. Um, the Bible talks about the fact that he's mortally wounded and he is a, you know, it looks like for sure he's dead and then he comes back to life, so to speak. And of course the world clamors then because they think, wow, this must be the Messiah. Um, the number, his number is 666. And for Centuries, people have tried to figure out who has got the number 666. And uh, what's interesting about that is if you look at the, the Hebrew language and the Greek, well, the Greek, the Greek alphabet and the Hebrew alphabet, every letter of the alphabet has a numeric value. And people have tried to figure all this stuff out, but, but the, the scripture tells us that he will have the number of a man and that number is 666. And it's meant to help those who are alive during that time to be able to identify him. But when I think about this, this lawless man, the man of lawlessness, as Paul calls him in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he's also referred to as the son of destruction. He is one who is pictured in Revelation chapter 6 as coming out as the rider on the white horse who has a bow with no arrows, and he comes out conquering and to conquer. So even though he doesn't have arrows, he's a conqueror. And destruction follows him. In Matthew chapter 6, the Bible says that the rider of the white horse comes out. That's the Antichrist. And then there's a red horse that comes out and the rider of the red horse is, is able to take peace from the world and so the world just completely explodes. I mean, we think we have a chaotic and a war-filled world now. It will be intense at that time. And then there's the, the black horse that comes out, the third horseman of the apocalypse. And, and the rider of the black horse has got scales. And the scales represent the, the uh, it represents famine because, you know, there's a quart of wheat for, uh, or for a denarius, or I don't remember exactly what it says. It's in Revelation 6, and I'm not going to take time to go there. But the bottom line is that when the black horse comes out, there is famine in the land, and people are struggling to put food in their bellies. And then the fourth horseman of the apocalypse comes out, and it's the pale horse, the pale rider, and his name is death. And a fourth of mankind will be put to death. But all of this is coming. The question is, when will it be here? Well, I don't really know. Uh, and, and, you know, we can try to discern when it is, but the bottom line is, what I believe is that because the Bible is so unique... And because it's borne itself out to be a reliable and trustworthy source for, uh, to describe the human condition, I mean, when you look at the Bible, first of all, in creation, it describes creation that coincides with what science has discovered. The earth is, is a circle that's hung in the middle of nothing. It's not just a, 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 a planet that's sitting on the back of turtles. I mean, come on. 
The hydrological cycle, the, the fact that the rain comes down and it, it waters the earth and it goes into the streams and, you know, it goes out to the ocean and then it goes back up into the atmosphere and it comes back down again. That's described in the Bible in a pre-scientific era. Again, the Bible just kind of speaks to the reality. The Bible speaks to the reality of the human condition, who we are. The struggles that we have, and one look at the Psalms and the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, and it says, you know what? This describes my life, describes how things are. And so when the Bible begins to talk about these in this apocalyptic language, and it is, it is incredible when you begin to read some of this stuff, you think, man, I'm challenged about this. Does this mean what I think it means? And so I believe that God's word is pretty accurate and pretty clear about what will happen in the days ahead. And so I want to talk with you about that this morning, but, but just so that we can kind of understand where we are today, not just at First Baptist Wildwood, and hello to all of you who are watching online. We'd love for y'all to join us in, in worship, okay? So come to our church. We'd love to have you here. But when we look at this, there are certain trends that are going on right now in our world that are leading us to that place where a very uh, wicked person could do all of these things that the Bible says the Antichrist will do. And so let me just kind of gloss over some of this before we get to Revelation 19. First of all, the social culture that we live in today has become brutal for people of faith. People are being canceled. They're losing jobs. Uh, and it's not so much an issue for maybe for me and my generation, so to speak. And I'm blessed in a lot of ways because I'm kind of insulated as a pastor because I don't have to depend on uh, a social credit score. But right now in China, livelihoods depend on that. It might be coming to this nation too. I don't know. It seems like we're moving in that direction. But there are socially accepted ways of living and viewing the world. And if you're not, if you're not, um, if you're not on the right, I guess if you're not on the, on, the, on the right path in the eyes of some, you can be, quote, canceled, defriended, lose jobs. Human life is greatly devalued these days. I mean, it seems like, and again, I don't want to presume because I'm only in my early 60s, but it just seems to me that life is of less value today in the eyes of many people than it was even 10 years ago. All we have to do is look at those that would champion abortion to the moment of birth. It obviously means that these people either don't value human life or don't believe that there's a soul in, that's intrinsically tied to that life and it's not really valuable. Matter of fact, there are many today that say if your life does not have some sort of utilitarian value, you're not worthy of life. And this is why um, you know, there's a big movement now to, to, uh, to encourage people to end their own lives when they get to a place to where they can't contribute to the world. The Bible tells us about some other trends that are coming and uh, there's, there, there are trends that, that, that have to happen in order for one man or a group of 
regional kings to take over. And the Bible is pretty clear that there'll be a group of regional kings that take over the world. But, you know, mass migration of populations is something that occurs and it has occurred in the past and it's changed nations. And right now, with our nation, there seems to be an open border policy that anybody who's welcome to come can come. But And there's no restraints on it. But make no mistake, it changes many things. Some for the good, but oftentimes for the bad as well. There's economic challenges. I mean, we're kind of all uh, in a place where we understand that inflation and and how the economic markets affect us financially, they affect our businesses, they affect our homes, how, you know, whether or not we can get a car loan or, or a home loan. I mean, all of these things, and particularly what is most disturbing to me is there seems to be a disparaging now of free market capitalism. The idea that a person could have a business and they could go out and they could earn a living. And, and you know, the Bible is pro-capitalism. I don't know if you knew that or not. But the Apostle Paul says, let everyone let every man work with his hands and provide for his own family and then share with those around. It's, it's very, uh, very pro-business. And yet there are people today who, who think that it's evil if you have your own business. They call that communism, socialism. They believe that the government should control all of this. I just, I don't know if you heard this this past week, Elon Musk was, uh, was lamenting the fact that his daughter uh, does not want to have anything to do with him now. Do y'all, have y'all, did any of you hear this this past week, Elon Musk? And what he said was, she thinks that anyone who has a lot of money is automatically evil. He said she's become a full-blown communist. Well, I don't know if you realize or not, but communism is anti-Christian. It denies God. It denies private property. It denies the fact that, uh, you know, it believes that the the government is God. And so uh, Elon Musk says the problem with his daughter is that she went to a private school and they indoctrinated her into this kind of stuff. But that's economically those things are happening And it just paves the way for a dictatorship in our world to come. Gender-bending theatrics. I don't need to say a whole lot about that. I think we know it's unfortunate that something so basic in human life has become so disputed. Political uh, leanings. Uh, We are moving towards a global governance that is being highlighted and being catapulted by communication that is instantaneous. And the reality is that it's been going on for a very long time, but it's moving in that direction. Uh, Alfred Lloyd Tennyson, he was a, a poet of a, of a, a different generation many years ago, and, and he understood the fact that, that men would choose to move towards a global governance when he wrote these words. He said, I dipped into the future far as human eye could see, saw the vision of the world and the wonder that would be, till the war drum throbbed no longer and the battle flags were furled in the parliament of man, the federation of the world. People have been moving in that direction for a long time, but now it's become much easier because of technology. 
But think about this for just a moment. And again, we're doing a broad brush thing here before we get to Scripture, just so we're trying to set the scene for how you can see how all of this could take place in a heartbeat in the moment of an eye. But the Bible tells us that, that this, this is happening. And when you think about these organizations, they are working constantly toward this end. The Council on Foreign Relations. The Trilateral Commission. These are real Groups of people who meet regularly who have a globalist agenda. It's not conspiracy, folks. It's real. It's happening. The Bilderbergers. The World Bank and the International Monetary Fund. They pretty much control the amounts of currency in each nation. And many nations have been... Their whole finances have been controlled. Some nations have been destroyed because of the policies that speculators and others who were involved in this sort of thing, what they've done. They can ruin nations. The World Health Organization. Anybody ever heard of the World Health Organization? You know, <laughs> right now, the World Health Organization wants to tell you what you can and can't do based on whether or not you have a certain, I guess, virus or whatever. And unfortunately, or fortunately for us, if it weren't for our Congress and our Senate, we might be giving our subservience to a group of people that are, that are pretty much run by communist China. Now, I'm not saying they don't do some good things, but I'm telling you that there is a, there's a desire to control the movement of people and all of those things related through, to, and they call it world health. There's a, there's a whole lot of crazy stuff going on that are moving us in that direction. I don't know if you've heard of a guy by the name of Malachi Martin. Malachi Martin was an observer of the Vatican. I also believe he was a priest. He wrote some interesting things, but many years ago, he talked about a new age religion that was coming to the world. I mean, this was, this was decades ago. And he was talking about uh, the New Age theology that would be embraced. And this is what he said. This New Age theology, quote, it will include all the lands occupied by the ancient Romans. But the religion will not be Christianity or Catholicism, Buddhism, Islam, Hinduism, or any religion known today. The environment will be almost deified and sanctified. Have you guys witnessed some of these radical eco folks out there that are telling you that everything that we're doing is destroying Mother Earth and therefore we have an obligation to pony up or we have an obligation to do that? Have y'all heard about any of this stuff? Oh my goodness, this past week it was kind of funny to me. Um, they had, y'all know what Burning Man is? Probably not. But anyway, I don't know a whole lot about it. I don't want to go to it. It's not one of those things I would participate in. But it's some kind of crazy avant-garde, crazy thing they do out in the desert. And it's just, it's not, it's not a very good thing, I don't think. But anyway, what happened was some of these radical eco-protesters, uh, they decided to blockade the only road leading to Burning Man. And it just so happens that they had a line of cars miles long because they were all stopped. They couldn't get there. And it was so funny because that particular area is controlled by, tribe, by, by some of the tribal nations there. And 
man, it was funny to me because that, th- those officers just went in and knocked down that barrier and arrested those people. And, and this lady was crying out and saying, we, we're unarmed and we're, we're eco-environmentalists or something like to that effect. But they were causing problems, just like these people that are putting glue on their hands and then they're trying to touch these, these, uh, the, these masterpiece paintings or they're throwing paint on. They, they are just radically crazy and it is a new religion. And unfortunately, the world's moving in that direction. Technology. All right, I promise you, we're getting to the Bible, but I'm, I'm setting the scene for you, Okay technological trends that point us to the fulfillment of the rise of a supervillain antichrist. How many of you have your phones with you this morning? Take your phone out just a moment and hold it up so we can see it. Okay. I want, how many of you who have these phones are using uh, Siri or Alexa or you're talking to your phone to get answers? Anybody here? I resisted this for a long time, but I finally, got, I finally bought into it so I can get answers to questions. They tell us that the phone's not listening to us, but they have to listen to us if they want to get the wake-up call. Here's what I know about the technology. Every one of your movements is being recorded somewhere. That is how people can have control over your life. But I got something even more startling from a technological standpoint, and that is many, if not all of your movements of your life are being orchestrated and manipulated. You're looking at your phone, and all of a sudden, I'm looking at my phone, and there's an ad that comes up for a brand new tent. And I'm thinking, wow, how did they know I was looking to buy a tent? Or how do they know I needed a new pair of boots? So they have promoted through mass media. They are motivating and moving us in directions. And so, again, this is all about creating an environment of control and manipulation. And we didn't even have a chance to get into artificial intelligence, but we won't, we won't go there because I think it's highly artificial. But anyway... Um, it is amazing, though, that a computer program could download megabytes of information from all over the world and supposedly, you know, do it in a matter of seconds. This is the world we're living in, and this is the world that will enable a very evil person to take over. So we talked about him last week and his rise Today I want to share some good news with you, and that is about his defeat. So take your Bible, please. Let's go to uh, Revelation chapter 19, and I want to read this passage beginning with verse number 11. And I'm not going to ask you to stand this morning because we're bouncing all over, and, and I don't want to be here all morning, and probably you don't either. But it's very interesting stuff if you ask me. All right. <clears throat> Which, that gets me in trouble with my wife because she says I talk too long. Okay, so anyway. But she's very gracious to me. She's a sweet lady. I got to tell you that too. Anyway. All right. Here we go. Verse 11 of Revelation 19. John is writing now and he says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. 
The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. Now, here we have another horse that comes out of heaven, a white horse. But notice the very specific nature of who this is. Because the guy in Revelation 6 is the Antichrist. But the person here is called Faithful and True. Now, who do you think that refers to? Who? Christ, Jesus Christ, that's right. He's coming back to earth at this point. John sees this prophecy, and verse 11, he says, I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Now, this is going to get a little bit gory for you guys, okay? Bear in mind, this is what John saw, this is what God delivered, and so if you think it sounds gruesome, just understand this is a this is what it will happen. Verse 12. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. Verse 13. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Remember what John said in John chapter 1. The Word became flesh made his dwelling among us. So we know this is Jesus Christ. In verse 14 it says, And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. So John sees this incredible scene that we understand takes place during the battles or the battle of Armageddon. And all of a sudden Jesus is coming out of heaven and the armies of heaven are with him. Jude talks about Jesus coming with ten thousands of ten thousands. It's incredible. It's an incredible picture. And, and by the way, I, I just want to tell you, when you look at this passage, um, you have to understand now that, uh, that in this particular portion of Scripture, there's a, a scene on planet Earth. In prophetic scripture, what is happening now is the Antichrist has consolidated his rule, but there are some kings of the earth who are not happy with him, and they are resisting and rebelling against him. Specifically, the kings of the south, the kings of the north, and the kings of the west. And so these armies are gathered around Jerusalem where the Antichrist has put up his headquarters. And they are going to come in and take him out. But in the middle of all of this, the scripture says, the Lord comes out of heaven. And this is when he comes back to, to, to do away with the Antichrist and set up his millennial kingdom. Verse 14, and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written. Here we go. King of kings and Lord of lords. The same word that's used of Jesus in the book of Philippians. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, with the, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both great and small. And I saw the beast, this is the Antichrist, I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. So 
The Lord begins to return, then all of a sudden, all of these guys, they turn their sights on the Lord and His people. And verse 20 says, And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Wow. That is pretty gruesome. And the reality is it will be a terrible time for those who are arrayed against the Lord on that day. Let me just share with you, again, there's some things here that might be disturbing to you, but the question is not whether or not so much it disturbs us, but whether or not we believe it to be true. Or could it possibly be something else? I think if we are going to be uh, consistent in our theology and our understanding of the Bible, then we have to believe that these words are true. And they have ramifications for us as Christians. And by the way, this is nothing new. This is historic Christian doctrine that I'm talking about today. From the very first century up to today. So what are, we, or what are we to make of this? I mean, what, what does it mean? Of course, it talks about the Antichrist, the beast, and the false prophet, and they are, they are destroyed at this moment. But let me just give you the first thing that I think that this illustrates for us. The defeat of the Antichrist reveals the impotence of Satan. The reality is that Satan is a, is a creature that is powerful from an angelic sense as a demon, but he is nothing like God. He is impotent, he is vulnerable, he is powerless, he is weak, and he has, there's an incapacity. There is no way, because the Lord destroys the Antichrist, who I believe to be the one indwelt by Satan at this point, because the Lord destroys him without even lifting a finger just by his appearance and by his, his, his mouth, this should forever remind us that Satan is not a creature that we have to cower in fear over. He only operates according to the Bible and according to the word of the Lord based on the leash that God allows him to operate on. You remember the story of Job in the Old Testament. The Bible tells us that Satan wanted to tempt Job and God said, okay, Satan, you can tempt Job and you can hurt Job, but you can't take his life. Everything Satan did, it had to go through what God said. And God was very merciful to Job in spite of everything that happened. And God blessed him in his latter days. Um, and one question that's always popped up in my mind, what about his wife? Man, you remember what his wife said? She told Job to curse God and die. I wonder about the relationship of those two after that. <laughs> But God was so merciful to Job. I mean, he, he allowed Job to be tested, but the Bible's very clear that Satan said, the only reason Job serves you is because you have blessed his life. And God said, well, if you want to test him, go ahead. But the good news here and the positive thing is that no matter how wicked, how evil, how powerful this creature, the Antichrist, and no matter how much authority he welds understand that he is no match for God. First of all, 
Satan is a created being. You know, there are a number of different religions that will teach you that there are two forces that are equal and opposite. There's the force of good, and then there's the force of evil. That is not true. That is anti-biblical. It doesn't, it doesn't coincide, and it, it's not consistent with Christian belief. Satan is not his own little God. He's a creation of God who was created in perfection, but he chose to rebel against God, and therefore Lucifer became the devil. But this passage tells us that the Lord completely wipes him out just by his appearing. Take your Bible and go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul talks about this. And uh, in 2 Thessalonians, that's in the New Testament, of course. Just keep going to the left. If you get to 1 Thessalonians, you've gone too far. If you get to 1 and 2 Timothy, you haven't gone far enough back to the left. But 2 Thessalonians, and we might even have it on the screen, I think. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 Verse number 3. Paul is warning them now about, about the day of the Lord and His return. He says, Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. So we talked about that last week. And then if you look in verse number 6, Paul asks the question, and you know what is restraining him, or he, he makes a statement, and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in time. Verse 7, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. Now, I personally believe that this is a reference to the Holy Spirit through the church. Um, I, you know, I know some people believe this is human government, and in Romans chapter 13, Paul says that the government is a gift from God for this season and time, and the governors, uh, the leaders are supposed to protect the innocent and punish the guilty. It seems like we have leaders today, though, that protect the guilty and punish the innocent. And, uh, you know, it, it just today or this past week, there were some pro-life people that were sentenced to, I forget how many years in prison because they were protesting abortion at abortion clinics. Again, uh, it just seems like lawlessness is, is there. So I think what this means is there's coming a time when God will withdraw his protective presence over the people of the world. And... Uh, and the man of lawlessness will be revealed. But notice what he says in verse 8. He says, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus Christ will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. There's a comfort in knowing that because Christ defeats the Antichrist, we do not have to worry and fear Satan. As a matter of fact, the apostle Peter said this. We are aware of the schemes of the devil. And he said, you watch out because your adversary, the devil, he roams around seeking to devour those he can. Peter warns us about this spiritual warfare. And Peter says, resist the devil. 
The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And when we think about this, the Lord Jesus has defeated the devil and, and, and he did this in so many different ways. In the wilderness, the devil came to tempt him and the Lord Jesus resisted that temptation. He defeated the devil. The Bible says through his ministry, the Lord Jesus Christ, he cast out demons from the Garrison, the Garrison demoniac. The Bible says he cast out demons from uh, the boy who was thrown into the fire by the demons. I mean, over and over again, Jesus demonstrated his authority over the demonic realm. The good news is that when Christ destroys Antichrist, we know he does that from the point that he doesn't have to have a battle. He just says, you're gone. And the Antichrist and the false prophet, the devil, they're all cast into the lake of fire. The Bible tells us that we have nothing to fear. Listen to me. Colossians chapter 2 tells us about Jesus. That by Jesus, all things exist. All things are created and all things hold together in Him by His Word. Boy, I tell you what, I am so, I am so not afraid of the devil. Because he that is in me is greater than he that's in the world. And the Bible gives me very specific and clear instructions. You might want to write this down. How do you resist the devil? Well, first of all, you don't, you don't sit around and argue with him and say, you know, I know I shouldn't be looking at that beautiful woman in this way, but you know, you don't argue, you just leave. You just flee, you just resist, you just get away. And you put on the armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6, how can I resist? How can I stand against the wiles of the devil? Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Put on the belt of truth. Have on the helmet of salvation. Take up the shield of faith. Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray in the Spirit. Uh, put on the shoes of the gospel of peace. I, I want you to understand you can resist the devil and, and you can resist his efforts through the Antichrist. And so you need to understand that when... The Lord returns, he shows the devil for who he is. A creature that can deceive, but he cannot destroy apart from your complicit um, uh, you know, willingness to be led astray by him. And unfortunately, he's a master at doing that. Secondly, let me just give you, there's three points in this message. And the second point is this, Christ's defeat of the Antichrist reveals the imperiled condition of those who reject Christ. Christ's defeat of the Antichrist reveals the impotence of Satan and the Antichrist, but it also reveals the imperiled condition of those who reject Christ. And, you know, Satan, the Antichrist, they all get cast into the lake of fire. And, but I want you to see this too in Revelation chapter 20. This is where, again, you may not like this and you may wish it weren't so, but this is what the Scripture teaches. This is what the Lord has taught us, and it's important for us to understand this. In Revelation chapter 20, John says, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it, and from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. 
Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. Okay, the first books that are opened are the, the books that are the deeds of men. Okay, and the second book that's open, or the other book that's open that's mentioned here, is the book of life. Okay, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Now, understand this we are all sinners, and to break the law of God is to be guilty of death. Jesus came into this world so that he might pay the price for our sins and therefore when we accept Christ we are cleansed and we are pardoned of our sin but for those who are outside of Christ they their deeds will judge them God will judge them according to their deeds and verse 14 it says then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire and this is the second death the lake of fire And verse 15 is where it gets really problematic for some people because it says, And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. When I was a little bit younger, I read this passage, I was confused. Because some translations say that death and hell are cast into the lake of fire. And some translations say death and Hades are cast into the lake of fire. And after all, what is hell and what is the lake of fire? Somebody told me this morning that the way he saw this was that Hades or hell was like the county lockup. But the lake of fire was like the life sentence prison. And I think that might not be a bad analogy, but... What I understand is that when a person dies right now without Christ, they do go to a place where there is suffering. And it's called Hades, traditionally, um, or Gehenna. But the Bible also tells us that one day, at the end of this age, when the Lord returns, that death and hell itself, and everyone whose name is not found written in the book of life, will be cast into the lake of fire where the devil is, the false prophet, and the beast. And if you'll look, if you'll go to Revelation chapter 14, again, this is what the Word says. So if you're a Christian, you have to take this to heart. In Revelation chapter 14, in verse number 9, it says... And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath. In verse 11, it says, in verse, well, in verse 10, it says that he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels, and in the presence of the Lamb. I didn't make this up. I'm not just some hateful preacher that's out to try and scare you, okay? That's not me at all. If you know me, that's not me. But there's a warning here. And I want you to notice what it says. It says, And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest. Day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. 
In verse 12, it says, Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. The defeat of Antichrist by the Lord Jesus, it means that those who are outside of Christ and who have followed the Antichrist, they are in deep danger. And I don't know... In God's economy, he created hell. He created the lake of fire for the devil and his angels. But the lake of fire is there for those who have rejected Christ. That's what the Christian doctrine teaches us. And, and I just have a... Let me just share this. This is not gospel, but this is what I believe, okay? I think that every time you make a moral decision in your life, you either go right or you go left. I think... Throughout life, what happens is you gradually harden your heart in the direction that you will go for all eternity. This is just my own perception. Apart from the grace of God, you can get saved at any time. But when you live a life of rejection of the Lord and truth and righteousness, I think what happens is you kind of get used to that and you get stuck in that rut. And it may be at some point God says, no more. I'm tired of trying to convict you. And if you don't want me, then you don't have to have me. And so, it's just pretty clear here that there's a dangerous place to be if you reject Christ. Well, there's one more thing I want to just point out, and I'm just going to just give you the bullet point, and that is that this defeat of the Antichrist... The defeat of the Antichrist also reveals the impregnable, certain, unassailable reward that comes to those who love the Lord and who follow Him. And it talks here about these folks reigning with Christ and the reference to this passage is uh, Revelation uh, chapter 19 and, um, and, and, and we, won't, we won't go into all of that. I encourage you to read this, but... The bottom line is that the Antichrist is, you know, he will have power, but he is nothing compared to the Lord. So just trust in the Lord, put on the armor of God, and remember that one day God will bring judgment. And the important thing for us is that we respond to the Holy Spirit when he calls us. And what that means is in your heart of hearts, that if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart, but respond with faith in Christ. So anyway, we got to wrap it up there. Our band is coming out. They're going to lead us in a closing hymn. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Hopefully this has kind of given you an idea of, of some of the things that are going on. When I return, uh, we'll be talking about the millennial reign of Christ, and we'll be talking about some other stuff at the end times, but uh, I'll be gone for a couple of weeks, and then I'll be back, and um, I look forward to resuming this study with you, and thank you for being so attentive today. I'm amazed that, that, that you were able to keep up with me. My wife's is not amazed I can talk long, and you already know that too. But anyway, let's sing this worship song. And Lord's prompted you on some kind of commitment today. I want to encourage you in that commitment. So please let me know before you leave. Let's pray. Father, bless this time and bless our lives. Help us to understand and serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.